But today, the title of my message is What God is Looking For. What God is Looking For. Um, I don't know if you are, are like me. I'm sure many of you are, but I love to, I want to be that person that God looks for and finds. I want to be that person that um, whatever I'm doing, I get his attention. Um, you know, as, as people, we tend to notice things like, ladies, we'll notice nice shoes, we'll notice nice jewelry, we'll notice, maybe for us uh, in general, men and women, we'll notice nice cars or we'll notice gifts, right? We notice someone when they're gifted on the piano, when they're gifted with their voice, they gift and gifted orator, they're gifted in leadership, they, maybe they're a gifted apostle or prophet or they're a wealthy businessman who's gifted in terms of starting and uh, businesses and creating wealth. And those are the types of things we we look for, we look at the externals, right? We notice people, Kume, when they wear nice perfume. I noticed her yesterday, she was wearing such a nice perfume. We notice that. We notice people when they're beautiful. We notice those types of things, and those types of things are gifts, right? They're, they're gifts. They're gifts from God, but those are the things we notice. And, and God, God doesn't really admire those things because they come from him. If someone can sing beautifully, who gave them that voice? God. If someone has got, is an incredible prophet, whose gift is that? It's God's. If someone has an incredible ability to make cash and has a big fat bank account and can afford cars, who gave them that gift to create wealth? God. Okay? So I don't, God doesn't admire those things. And, and I... I'm fascinated by how God sees and, by, and I want to see how he sees or at least understand a bit of how he sees. And so today I've gone, I'm going to look at that and I've done a, a bit of a look through the Bible to see what is God actually looking for? What does he look for? And I hope you want to find, find out. Okay, so the first thing that God is looking for is those who worship in spirit and truth. Those who worship in spirit and truth. In John 4 verse 23 it says, But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. So God is looking for worshipers and worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. And in our charismatic circles when you say that, what comes to mind in a lot of people's minds, I think, is a worship team. Or is someone singing, right? That's what we envisage. In our Rebuild series, we looked at what worship and spirit and truth is. And I'm wanting to unpack it a little bit more. Because if all God is looking for is someone who can sing in tune and has a beautiful voice. And who can possibly lead a group of people in, in, in worship and song to the Lord. That's a gift from Him. And if God was looking for that, why, why didn't He make us all like that? He would have given us all a beautiful voice so we can sing beautifully as if that is all that worship is about, right? So that is not all that worship in spirit and truth is about. And I want to look a little bit more at the scripture, the context of the scripture, John 4, 23, when Jesus says this. And I find it very interesting that Jesus has been in Judea and he's wanting to make his way to Galilee. And the most direct route from Judea to Galilee is not through Samaria, but Jesus goes through Samaria. And in, uh, John actually says, and I'm quoting what John says, he says he needed to go through Samaria. So Jesus needed to go through Samaria. So he was taking a detour, but he says he needed to go there. And why did he need to go there? Because he was seeking a worshiper who wasn't yet a worshiper, but she was going to be a worshiper who worshiped in spirit and truth. And he had a message for her. And that's what he does. He seeks us out. He seeks us out even before we are true worshipers. He seeks us out, and that's what he did uh, for this woman. So he comes to this well, and he meets a woman of Samaria, and he asks her for water. And most of us know the, the, this account. He asks her for water, and um, she's just blown away because he's a Jew, and she's a woman and a Samaritan woman, and Jews and Samaritans didn't even speak to each other. Are you seeing the significance of this? Jesus will seek out people that we wouldn't even seek out. He the, and this particular woman, he, sa he says to her, where's your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. 
And then she says, I perceive you're a prophet, you know. So people that we, wouldn't, we would walk past, Jesus sought her out. He's seeking those who worship in spirit and truth. He's seeking those, even those who don't look religious or don't fit into our religious mold of a worshiper. So I just find this particular context very fascinating. It's, in, it's interesting who Jesus taught this to. It's interesting where he was because he was in a place that Jews didn't typically go to. You see, worship is not about a geographical place. It's not about a church. You know, we always say, welcome to the house of the Lord. This is not the house of the Lord. We are the house of the Lord. Amen. Okay, it's good to go up to the house of the Lord. No, we don't go up to the house. We are the house of God. And wherever I, worship, wherever I am, I can worship in spirit and truth. And I've used this quote before, and I'm going to uh, repeat it to you all, by Archbishop William Temple. This is how he defines worship. He says, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of, his, of, of the heart to his love, the surrender of will, the surrender of will to his purpose. The surrender of will to his purpose. All of this gathered up in adoration is the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. It's worship. And it reminds me of this particular scripture, and I'm going to read it in two translations. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. So his plan and purpose for me is not his plan and purpose for you. And so offering my body and worship to him for me may look different than you offering your body to worship in worship to him. Amen. And offering my body and presenting my body in my reasonable act of worship, that is seven days a week. That is 24 hours a day. Amen. That is offering my, offering my life and saying, Lord, I'm going to choose to walk in obedience to you and sensitivity to you every single day. And some of you might say, well, that's impossible. No, it's possible. And if you trip up, you just say, Lord, I'm sorry, help me again. Lord, I'm sorry, help me. Let me be sensitive to you. You don't want me to watch that movie. Okay, we're not going to watch that movie. Oh, there's this. Oh, my, all my friends are going to do that. I, I just feel a check. Okay, I'm not going to do that. It's being sensitive to the Lord and walking in accordance and in step with the Holy Spirit and offering my body. And I've said this before. It's offering my feet where my feet take me. It's offering my hands what I do with my hands, my eyes, what I let my eyes rest on and it's often not the first look it's the second look ladies and gents can I say that again it's not the first look it's the second look that's where the sin lies amen so what I do with what I let in my ears what do I where do I position myself when people are talking and gossiping I remember once I was in particular place and there was a Christian sister of mine, a lady I've known for many years and she started talking and sharing about this book that she was reading and it was written by someone she knew and it got to a point and I could feel I was going to be defiled and I just said you know what, please stop please stop, I don't want to hear the rest it's going to defile me, I'm going to remove I said I'm going to go and you can carry on and I removed myself and then she felt all awkward and she's like no, 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 it's fine, I'll stop I said no, you can carry on but I know for me it's going to defile me if I hear all of that stuff you know, so it's just being sensitive to Lord what, what should I let in through my ears you know sometimes we allow ourselves to watch something or we allow ourselves to listen to something and it affects us for like a week afterwards just don't do it. Just don't allow yourself to be defiled. That is what worship is about. It's about walking in obedience each step of the, of the day, each day of the week. Doing all we do as unto God. In the Passion Translation, that scripture says, in Romans 12, it says, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? 
I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. You see, what happens when we're all living like that out there during the course of the week, when we come in on a Sunday, worship, corporate worship, becomes a celebration and a true reflection of how we're all living. Amen. That's true worship. That's worship and truth. If I'm at home or if you're at home and we do things that we would be ashamed people knew about, and it's habitual sin, and then we come to church, and we now got our hands in the air, and we're singing, Lord, we surrender all, King of glory, come in. And we have no intention of repenting. That's not true worship. That's not true worship, okay? And we are not only about, we don't only want, yes, we want beautiful worship, beautiful songs, beautiful sounds, beautiful vocals, more instruments, yes. But more than that, we're about the church worshiping in spirit and truth. That's what corporate worship's about. It's about coming in on Sunday and with one voice, we're offering a sound to God that's a reflection of what we're doing during the week. That's the type of church God is looking for. That's the type of worship God is looking for. Those are the type of people God is looking for. You know, I remember once being in our service and it happened a couple of Sundays and I could smell this awful stench. And sometimes it happens. Some, some of you understand this. We've got spiritual senses, right? And could smell this awful stench like a toilet smell, okay? And I didn't know what it was, and it happened a couple of times, and eventually I figured out that God was saying, he's talking about defilement in worship, defilement in the congregation. And you know what? The worship from the stage was sounding beautiful to my ears, okay? I get distracted by horrible sounds, and it was sounding beautiful. And it was a lesson for me because during that period, I went to go and visit a church that was being planted. And the music, I struggled with the music. I struggled with the vocals. And I was standing right by the speaker, and I remember walking like this, like, oh, Lord, help me, walking to the other side of the speaker so I wouldn't have to hear it, okay, because it didn't sound good at all. And God showed me in the spirit that it was incense before his throne, because those people were the type of worshipers that he was looking for. And he was saying, in your church, your music sounds great, but there's defilement in the camp. And those are things that we can't, the band can't do that for us. Amen. I can't do that for you. I can deal with me and I can preach a message like this. But after that, it's up to you to say, Lord, I'm bringing my life before you. I want to be a true worshiper. God is, I want to be that person that you're looking for. Come and help me, Lord. And oh, he'll help you. If he could go to a woman that Jews didn't even go to, and he could seek her out, and it was a detour, and he could speak to a woman. Okay, men didn't, in those days, Jewish men did not go and speak. You know, it, it was, wasn't done. And she was living with a man that wasn't her husband. If he could actually do that, that's an object lesson. You know what the object lesson is? It doesn't matter what you're in right now. If you really want to, he will come and find you and help you. Amen. Those are the type of people God is looking for in terms of worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. Please, please don't come to church and act like everything is fine when it's not. And you've got habitual sin and you won't repent, and you think that God doesn't see. No, God sees. God sees, and he's wanting to take us as a church to another place, to another level, and we want to go together. Amen. So let's all be worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth and be honest with ourselves and with God. We can't fool God. Okay, an example that I have is David, my example of this. David you know, in 1 Samuel 13, verse 13 to 14, Samuel is talking to Saul. Prophet Samuel is talking to King Saul and says to him, You've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord, which, you, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. And you know what had happened? Saul had gone ahead and offered this, this sacrifice. He'd offered a, a sacrifice of worship to the Lord and made petition to the Lord. And he'd done certain things in disobedience to the Lord. And basically, Samuel says to him, The Lord would have established your kingdom, but now it shall not continue. For the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own 
heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. See, sometimes we think of David as a worshiper and the man after the Lord's heart because he would worship so beautifully, right? But that's, if we look at scripture, that's not what it was. So you don't have to have a beautiful voice to be a, D- a Davidic worshiper. Amen. David was a man after God's own heart because he obeyed God. And Saul was disqualified from his calling as a king because he disobeyed God. Now, you can say to me, well, you know what? In the New Testament, there's grace. And you know what? I can disobey God and there'll be grace and he'll forgive me. Yeah, that's fine. He'll forgive you. But at some point, your disobedience may disqualify you from what God has for you and your descendants. Because what happened to Saul didn't only affect him, it affected his descendants. Because Jonathan would have been king. And Jonathan's children and all their descendants would have been on the throne. But Saul's disobedience to God disqualified him and all his children and descendants from the throne. So be careful how long you refuse to repent. Be careful how long you disobey knowingly because at a certain point, God comes to a point where he says, you know what? I will raise up deliverance for myself from somewhere else. That's what he said to Esther, right? He said, "If you know, salvation, you've been born for such a time as this. But if you will not do what I'm asking you to do, salvation, I will raise up for myself salvation from another corner. So God gives our callings to someone else. Some of you are so gifted, so gifted, and all you need to do to fulfill what God has on your life is to walk in obedience, to be a worshiper who worships in spirit and truth, who obeys God. And that is what God says, the Lord has sought for himself. The Lord is seeking for himself. You don't have to be the most beautiful, the most wealthy, the most gifted, the most confident. You don't have to be the most Whatever you think, fill in the blank. You just have to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. That is what he's looking for. Isn't that encouraging? Because that we have power over, right? I have power over that. I don't have power over other things. How beautiful I am. How wealthy I am. How gifted I am at speaking. How gifted I am at singing. Whatever it is that you're wanting to do or you feel called, you you don't have complete power over that, but you can be a man or a woman after God's own heart and get God's attention. Amen. Obedience and true worship impacts our destiny. Acts 13 verse 21 to 22 says, And afterwards they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when God had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. That explains to me, that's the definition after a man after my own heart. I have found David, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Will God say that about you? I have found, put your name there, a woman after my own heart, she will do all my will. I have found, put your name there, a man after my own heart, he will do all my will. And listen to this from 1 Samuel 15, 22 to 24. Samuel replies, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? What is more pleasing to the Lord, your offerings and your acts of worship that everyone can see or obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. For rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So we see here that worship is about obedience. Amen. Worship in spirit and truth is about obedience. God is looking for obedient men and women. Are you that person? Are you that person? Okay, so the first one, what is the first type of person God is looking for? A worshiper will worship in spirit and truth. The second type of personal, the second thing God is looking for is those who will stand in the gap. 
those who will stand in the gap. And I find it very interesting as I go through this list because you'll see that these are not always obvious to the external eye. These are not always obvious to the external eye, but you can choose to be this. Those who stand in the gap, Ezekiel 22 verse 30, it says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one in the whole land. And please understand that this word man there can mean man or woman, right? In the NIV, it says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall. Not someone, not hired holy man from the north. From northern Nigeria. <laughs> okay. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. So I would not destroy it, but I found no one. He found no one. Sure, may that not be the case in this, in this land. Amen. I just want to encourage you, even if you're a foreigner, if you are in this land, you adopt this land as your own and you pray for it. Even if you're rejected by the people of this land and by the systems of this land, doesn't matter. If God has put you here, you adopt this land. You stand in the gap and you pray for it. Amen. And I want to challenge all of us. You know, sometimes we look at, we look and we spectators and we look at the government and we're like, you know, this, this, this. And we've got lots to say about the things that we don't like. Or we think about ESCOM and we've got lots to say. We crack jokes about ESCOM right now and all load shedding, don't we? But when was the last time that you stood in the gap and you prayed for ESCOM and you prayed for the leadership of ESCOM? When? But we very quick to do the work of the accuser of the brethren, aren't we? And God is saying, I'm looking for a man who will stand in the gap. I'm looking for a woman who will stand in the gap and not someone who will pray once and then gossip five times that amount and negate their prayers with every negative word that they've released from their mouths. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 12 to 14 says, The Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayer and chosen this place uh, for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence my people to my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name, are you God's people? Ooh, are you God's people? Yes. I'm glad you know. Who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. You see, sometimes when we look at things and we don't like what we see, we're sitting in a place seat of judgment, in a place of pride. Yeah, well, this, and what about this, and this, ESCOM, this, and the government, this, and the municipality, this, and now this, and we complain. And we're sitting in a place of pride, aren't we? Like we have all the answers, like that's actually going to do anything. We need to humble ourselves because we don't have all the answers. If we had all the answers and things, if we could do a better, I don't think we could do a better job necessarily. I think there are powers and principalities and, and there's all sorts of spiritual dynamics around places of authority in the nation. I don't know if we could, you know. We need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, we actually really need you in this nation. Lord, we actually really need you. We've had this many heads of ESCOM in the past this many years. Please, Lord, have mercy on us. Help. Help, Lord. We ask for your hand. We ask for your wisdom. And Lord, we pray for the person who currently is here. We pray you would give him wisdom. You would give him counselors around him that will speak your word, your truth. Lord, we pray that you would expose wickedness in high places. You would expose corruption. Some of these people are pawns, you know. But we can pray, step out of our seat of judgment and pride and humble ourselves and cry out to God. That's what we've got to do. And that's the type of person God is looking for. I love the example of Nehemiah. If you look in Nehemiah, the beginning of Nehemiah, it says, It came to pass in the month of Kislev, the third month of the Hebrew year, in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that one of my brethren came with men from Judah. So Nehemiah is not in Judah. He's in another 
he's far from Judah. And he says, And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Now, it's interesting to me because Nehemiah was in the palace. He was a cupbearer to the king. His, he was living in luxury. He had all his needs met, okay? But he still asked after and inquired after his people. And it says in verse 4, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Can you see his heart? He's like, Lord, I'm fine. You see, a lot of us, I think, we have, we have an attitude of as long as we're fine. As long as we're fine. We're not in our nation that is completely broken down. We're fine. We're okay, Jack. Our household is provided for, and maybe we can help out our relatives, and that's okay. But that was not Nehemiah's heart. His heart was broken, and he wanted to stand in the gap in the spirit and say, Lord, I'm crying out for my nation. I'm crying out for, for Judah Come and have mercy. Cry. That was his heart. I think we need to ask God to soften our hearts. That what breaks his heart will break our hearts too. You know? And I know we can't carry everything that God carries because it becomes too heavy. But we've got to have soft hearts, people. We've got to have, say, Lord, let me carry your burden. So we're seeing that this is happening or that's happening. Or, or you know, these abortion laws are, are, are happening or this is what's... And it can grieve us. We say, Lord, and we cry out for those unborn babies or whatever it may be. Maybe it's a euthanasia law. Or maybe, whatever it is that burdens you, that God wants to use you to stand in the gap to build up. But to be available and say, Lord, because sometimes when we're carrying so many burdens, we'll never carry the burden of the Lord. We're carrying too many burdens of our own. Amen. We've got to be available and allow ourselves to carry his burden and to be grieved by the things that are grieved, that grieve God. And the thing that I love about Nehemiah is he didn't just leave it as prayer, but he had a plan. And sometimes God wants to move us from a place of just praying to actually physically making a difference and standing in the gap. So Nehemiah said to the king, listen, I want to go. Can you, you know, and, and it was a hard thing for him to do. He was terrified of the king. But God opened a way and he went and God provided. And they built up the walls of the city in the middle of a lot of resistance with a sword in one hand and, bull, uh, and, uh, and, and building tools in the other hand. So they were fighting and they were building. And I think that's the type of intercessor that God wants to raise up in this hour at this time. Those who will build in the natural but also pray. Amen. And these are types of people that God is looking for. What was Nehemiah's response when he realized what the actual situation was? What is our response when we see certain walls broken down? What is our response when we see certain things that surely must grieve God's heart? And if they don't grieve us, I think we need to ask God to soften our hearts. What is our response to those in authority, in government, in church, in family, in business? What is our response? Do we criticize? Are we quick to point out the weakness? Yes, we can see a gap in the wall. And what, what, what do we do? Are we, do we criticize first or do we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I want to stand in the gap and I want to build it up? What words are we releasing from our mouths what is our attitude to the, to the situation around us in this nation? Are we burying our heads in the sand? Are we hoping that God will raise up someone else to pray? It's exhausting for me to pray. I'm really, I, no, no. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 to 2 says, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. Okay, does it say, therefore, I exhort that all those who are gifted with a gift of intercession and are women and are stay-at-home moms and have time should make supplications, prayers, and intercessions for all men. Does it say that? Sorry, does it say that? No. To men and to women in the church, it says, Therefore I exhort that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, 
that we may lead quiet, quiet and peaceable lives in godliness and reverence. All of us. It's all of our responsibility. And once, once a month at Ignite is not going to cut it. It's not enough. Amen. Okay? This time and this hour, he's calling us to praise, calling us to be these types of people. In the Passion Translation, it says, Most of all, I'm writing to encourage you to pray with gratitude to God. Pray for all men with all forms of prayers and requests as you intercede with intense passion. And pray for every political leader and representative so that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the awe-inspiring God with pure hearts. Isn't that lovely? So God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. And God is looking for those who will stand in the gap. Those things you can't really see, can you? But we can determine in our hearts to be those types of people. The third type of person that God is looking for is those who have faith. Those who have faith. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. So he was a wicked judge. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice with this dispute with my enemy. Give me justice. The judge ignored her for a long while, but then said to himself, finally, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. She is annoying me. I'm going to see she gets justice because she's wearing me out. And God then compares himself with an unjust judge. And he said, if this unjust judge gives mercy to this woman, how much more will I, a just father, a just God, give mercy to those who cry out and continue to cry out to me? He says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? When the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? He's going to be looking to see how many he finds who have faith. I just want to encourage us. You know, sometimes we go through things in life, like I alluded to last week, and it's easy to lose faith. It's easy to lose faith in God. We think, well, maybe I don't have the right picture of God. Maybe, maybe goodness and mercy, maybe my picture of goodness and mercy is not his picture of goodness and mercy. Or maybe, maybe his word isn't really true. Maybe they didn't do a good job of translating the Bible. We come up with all sorts of guardian lies. And our faith begins to crumble and, and, and take a bit of a hit. But God is looking to see, will he find faith? Are we those who are choosing to stand and say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to stand on the things that are unshakable. And your, the thing that is unshakable is your word. And your word is something that I'm going to choose to build my life on. I'm not going to build my life one foot on your word and one foot on my word and my understanding. But I'm going to build on that which is unshakable. I'm going to have faith and I'm going to trust you, Lord, no matter how long it takes to see the fulfillment of my word. But like Paul Barnabas said, Lord, you fulfill the word which you send. Your word is always fulfilled. It always um, comes back and bears fruit. I'm going to stand on that. Will we be those type of people that will stand on his word no matter how long it takes? Who will stand and remind him and say, Lord, remember what you said to me. Lord, remember you said this to me 20 years ago. Father, I'm still standing on this word. I'm going to choose to stand and keep on reminding you until you come through for me. Those are the types of people God is looking for. And I've got three examples of different situations where, because it's, it, it paints a, a great picture for us. In Matthew 8, there's one picture of when we can lose our faith. So they all get into a boat, Jesus and his disciples, and they cross over to the other side of the lake, and Jesus falls asleep. He's exhausted. There's a violent storm that develops with waves so high the boat was about to capsize, boat about, boat about to be swamped. Yet Jesus continued to sleep. His disciples were horrified and they woke him up saying, save us, we're going to die. And that's one example of when we could lose our faith. When we hit the storms of life and the waves are massive and our bank account is almost fully withdrawn on, on zero, you know, or minus our maximum withdrawal limit. There's massive storms, whatever the storms are. And we're like, Lord, Lord, can you even see what is happening? Lord, you're sleeping through my most violent storm. And he just wants to see, do we have faith? Amen. You know what Jesus said? Jesus says to them, why are you gripped with fear? Where's your faith? Maybe that's you today. Jesus is saying, why are, you, why are you gripped with fear? 
Where's your faith? And Jesus stood up and rebuked the storm and said, be still. And it became still. You see, God can change things around in an instant. Amen. Are we going to be found in faith? Even in the midst of the storm, will we stand in faith and know that with one word from him, he can change things completely? Another example, I love this example, is um, when Jesus... Um, Jesus, sorry, Jesus enters a village of uh, a Capernaum and a captain in the Roman army, this is not even a believer, captain in the Roman army approaches him and says, Lord, you know, I have a son who's lying at home and he's paralyzed and suffering terribly and he needs a miracle. So this man comes to Jesus and says, please, can you heal my son? And Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you and heal him. And the Roman officer says to him, Lord, who am I to have you come into my house? I understand your authority, for I too am a man who walks under authority, and I have soldiers who serve under me, and I can tell one to go, and he'll go, and another to come, and he'll come. I order my servants, and they do whatever I ask. So I know that all you need to do is to speak a word. All you need to do is to command healing, and my son will be healed. And Jesus was astonished, and he said, He has greater faith than anyone I've encountered in Israel. And Jesus turned to the Roman offer and said, Go. All that you have believed for will be done for you. And his son was healed that moment. See, I think God is looking for those of us who will have faith like this and say, Lord, I'm standing on your word. You just have to speak a word, Lord God. I'm standing on, the Bible is full of the revealed spoken word of God. God doesn't have to audibly speak to you. You can say, Lord, you've spoken all of that stuff. I'm going to stand on that word. I'm going to stand on that word on Isaiah that says that you will go before me and you will open doors that man cannot shut. I'm standing on that word, Lord God, where you said you'll go before me and break open gates of bronze and cut open bars of iron and you will make a way where there seems to be no way. Lord, I'm standing on that word where you said that you will be with me and even when I walk through the fire, I will not be burned and even when I go through the waters, they will not overflow me because you are with me and you will show your glory in and through me. I'm standing on that word, Lord God. I'm standing on your word, which says that even when the enemy comes against me like a flood, you will raise up a standard against against him, Lord God. I'm standing on your word in Psalm 91 that says that I will stand upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. They will not harm me. I'm standing on your word, Lord God, that says I can hide myself under the shadow of the Almighty and you will take care of me. His word is powerful and he's looking for those of us who will say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to choose to stand on your word and I'm going to remind you of your word and I'm not going to give up because I'm going to be a person of faith and you're going to look for me and find me because I'm going to be one of those of faith that you're looking for. Will the son of man find faith when he comes? Well, when he chooses to look, I'm going to be a woman of faith. Amen. Are you going to be a woman, a man and woman of faith? I'm sure you are. Amen. I love this example, prophetess Anna, the prophetess Anna, I'm going to read to you from the Passion Translation, Luke 2. A prophetess named Anna was in the temple court. She was from the Jewish tribe of Asher and the daughter of Phanuel. Anna was an aged widow who'd been married only seven years before her husband passed away. After he died, she chose to worship God in the temple continually. For the past 84 years, 84 years, people, 84 years, she had been serving God with night and day, prayer and fasting. While Simeon was prophesying over Mary and Joseph and the baby, Anna walked up to them and burst forth with a great chorus of praise to God for the child. And from that day forward, she told everyone in Jerusalem who was waiting for their redemption that the anticipated Messiah had come. You know what I've heard, and I actually believe that it could be true, was that the prophetess Anna labored for 84 years in prayer and in fasting to see, the, to see basically to see the Messiah born. That her prayers and her fastings brought that time and made it happen. That's what I've heard, and I can believe it. But anyway, regardless of whether that's fact or whether that's not, the fact of the matter is that she waited for 84 years in prayer and in fasting, and she saw the Messiah, and she recognized him when he was there. Some of us, 84 years. Some of us give up after two years. Lord, we've been praying for salvation for this person. Lord, I've been praying for this breakthrough, and it's been two years, Lord. (laughs) Two. (laughs) 
Or some of us, maybe it's 20, Lord, and we think we really, you know, we think we're generals of faith. Lord, it's been 20 years and I'm still here, you know. And I'm sure Jesus is probably smiling and thinking, yeah, well, the prophetess who, you know, she, she, it was 84 years that she, she labored for me to be born, <laughs> you know, 84 years, sure. Lamentations 3, verse 25 to 26, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. The Lord is good, and good means good. It doesn't mean good in our language and bad in God's language, or whatever. Good in God's language, bad in our language, it means good. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for us to hope. You know, sometimes we, we say, no, we don't want to hope because we don't want to be disappointed. But it's good to hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. We have to hope for things. Otherwise, what is our faith? You know, where is our faith? We, ho- we, we don't want to hope because we don't want to be disappointed, but we want to be in faith. We have to hope. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And hopefully it doesn't take 84 years. Amen. (laughs) Okay. So the first type of person God is looking for is a worshiper who worships in spirit and truth. The second type is someone who stands in the gap. The third type is man or woman of faith, those who have faith. And the fourth fourth one and the last one that I'm going to look at today is those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And if you go and you read um, in 2 Chronicles 16, there's an account of the king, um, the king of Israel and the king of Judah. And the king of Judah, Asa, chose when the king of Israel came up against him and uh, put a, set a siege around him so he couldn't go in or out. Um, he, was, he was besieged, basically. He decided he was going to rely on the arm of his own flesh and his own wisdom. And he took from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. So he sent these things to the king of Syria and basically said to, the, said to him, I'll make a treaty with you. Please, will you break your treaty with the king of Israel? So he stops besieging me and... Um, and attack the king of Israel's cities and towns. And he chooses to not trust in the Lord, but he chooses to trust on the arm of his own flesh and pay this guy to help him, okay? And um, so the king, of, uh, the king of Syria sent his armies against the cities of Israel, and um, basically the king of Israel stopped attacking the king of Judah, okay? And Hanani, or I'm not sure how to say that, but he comes and he speaks to the king. He was a prophet at the time, and he comes and he speaks to the king, and he says to him, because you've relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Assyria has escaped from your hand. In other words, that maybe he would have given him the king of Syria, but he says, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. And he says, Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a large army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you will have wars. So there were consequences to trusting in the arm of his own flesh. Amen. But I love the scripture, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So his eyes are looking to and fro. So it's like he goes past you and he looks elsewhere. He comes back and he checks again and he comes back and he checks again, comes back and he checks again. He keeps checking, okay? And what is he checking for? He's checking to see if your heart is loyal to him. But if it's loyal to him, do you know why he wants to see that? Because he wants to show himself strong on your behalf. He doesn't just want to check for goodness, just because he wants to know, for goodness sake, like, is your heart for me or not? He wants to know because he wants to show himself strong on your behalf. He wants to do a miracle, in other words. Amen. Okay. 
In the NIV, it says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You know what I find as I was thinking about this? The thing I find so fascinating is my heart can be fully committed to him. And I can be in a situation, but the situation has to be such that I can't come up with an answer and there's no way out unless it's God in order for him to show himself strong. Amen. But often we don't like to be in those situations because we don't like to be helpless and to, ha- to be in a situation where it's God or we're going under, do we? But those are the very situations where God is looking to say, oh, is her heart fully committed to me? Oh, great, because I want to show myself strong on her behalf. So those situations that we look down on, we look, we don't like them. They're uncomfortable. We don't have the answers. We don't have the finances. We don't have the way. Maybe the door is closed. We don't like them. But you know what? You can say, you know what, Lord? This situation that I'm in right now, I can't get myself out. And it's not, I'm not here as a consequence of sin. I can't get myself out. I believe I'm in the right place. So you know what? I want you to know that my heart is fully committed to you. Show yourself strong on my behalf. He's looking for those type of people. And that's when, he, that's when you get your miracle. And he does see. Job 34 verse 21 says, For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. Say to your neighbor, his eyes are on my ways and he sees my steps. Do you believe that? Do you live like that? (laughs) Proverbs 5.21, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths and God ponders all our paths. Jeremiah 16, verse 17, For my eyes are on all their ways, and they are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. Jeremiah 32, 19, You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open. This is God's eyes. Your eyes, Lord, are open to all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Zechariah 4, verse 9 to 10, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands shall finish finish it. And it goes on and says, For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. So the eyes of the Lord are scanning to and fro throughout the whole earth. Fully committed or not? Fully committed or not? Yes, she's fully committed. Okay, Holy Spirit, let's do something now. We're going to show ourselves strong on her behalf. And it reminds me of that scripture in Jeremiah 17 where it says, um, when we trust in the arm of our own flesh, we'll not see good when it comes. And we live in a wilderness, an assault land, a dry land. But those who trust in the Lord will be like trees planted by the rivers, who will not fear when heat comes, but will bring forth their fruit in season. Those who trust in the Lord, whether it's drought, whether it's hot, whether it's dry, whether it's raining, we trust in the Lord and he'll cause us to bring forth fruit in our season if we trust him. Amen. And my example of this is Daniel and his three friends. And there's so many examples from the book of Daniel. And I've just got two here for the sake of time. Um, And as we know, most of us, King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. He took a number of young boys, took some of the children of Israel into captivity. I just want to say that we told in Daniel 3 verse 1 to 4 that these children were some of the king's descendants, some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, took the best of the children. And imagine their parents... You know, just to go back to my message last week, imagine, we would be like, Lord, why did you allow this to happen? Lord, our children have been taken into captivity. They're in Babylon, you know. We'd think like that, wouldn't we? So God God works things out. He can work things out because these four were such a testimony in the middle of Babylon. It was David, sorry, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And my first example is, Dan, is, from, is Daniel in Daniel 1 verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. And he requested of the chief that he might not defile himself. You see, Daniel purposed in his heart beforehand 
that this is what he was going to do. He didn't wait until he was in the middle of the king's palace and then just see if it would go down, if it was PC, politically correct, if it was okay, or if he was going to be executed right at that point. But some of us, we wait, you know, we want to be PC, we want to be wallflowers, we want to be chameleons and blend in. We don't want to be offensive. But Daniel purposed in his heart, right then and there, purposed in his heart, I'm not going to defile myself. You see, we need to be salt. If the salt loses its saltiness, what purpose does it have? If I go out into the world and there's no difference between me and a person who's unsaved, what good is that? Well, they can relate to me. Of course they can relate to you. There's no difference. You know? If you're going to be salt, be salt. Daniel purposed in his heart. He would not defile himself. I think all of these young men purposed in their hearts that they would serve their God. And their hearts will be fully committed to the Lord. And I love this example where Nebuchadnezzar basically builds this massive gold statue. And he commands everyone to bow down and worship. And... These three, I don't know why Daniel isn't mentioned in this particular portion, but these three in particular are mentioned. And Nebuchadnezzar speaks to them and says, because they refuse to bow down. And Nebuchadnezzar says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? And, if you, and now, if you are already at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony, you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. It will go good for you in my kingdom. It will go good for you. But if you do not worship, you will be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, and who, is, uh, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Oh, such arrogance. Now, what would you and I say? Translate it to your local situation. In what areas are you willing to compromise? Because these guys, this is what they said. O king Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Basically, they're saying, we're not going to be chameleons. We're not going to change our stance. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace. But if he doesn't deliver us, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Wow. These guys, they were in that place that I'm talking about, right? They're in that place where it's God or they die. But they've purposed in their hearts. And we know what happened. The three men were thrown into the fire. The men who threw them in, their fire, in the fire died because the fire was so hot. Okay, But they survived. And in fact, although they put the three of them into the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar saw four men in the fire. And this is what he says. Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look. He answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You see, they actually had to be put into the fire in order for the king to recognize who the true God is. And sometimes in our lives, we have to be put into the midst of the fire so that people can see who our true God is, so that people can see him showing himself strong on our behalf. But most of us avoid the fire because we're not so sure that God will save us and we value our lives more than we value our integrity and our commitment to be fully committed to God. Amen. They didn't care. They said, even if our God doesn't save us, we still won't worship your gods. I love that. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. These guys, he found them. I'm sure he was with them before they even were thrown into the fire because their heart was fully committed to him. And as they went in the fire, it's like, oh, I love this. This is my perfect, this is perfect for me. Now I can be God. I'm going to show myself strong. I love that. So the four people God is looking for, worshipers who worship in spirit and truth, those who will stand in the gap and build up the walls, those who have faith and those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You can bow your heads. Father, we, we thank you for your word and for how it encourages us and for how it strengthens us and for how it challenges us, Lord God. And we pray that this word that has come forth, Lord, would bear fruit in everything that you have purposed it to bear fruit in. 
Every word that you send forth from your mouth accomplishes that which you send it for. And so we ask in our lives as a church that it would accomplish everything. I just want to ask you where you're at if you want to make a commitment to the Lord. Maybe it was one of those things. Maybe it was a number of them. Maybe it's all of them. But you want to make a commitment to the Lord. Maybe you say, you know what? I want to be a worshiper. Or I want to, I want to repent of criticizing and be, a, be someone who stands in the gap. I, I've, or maybe you say, you know what? I've dropped my faith. I've, I've entertained unbelief. I've, I've really struggled. I've really struggled through this or through that, and I've struggled to keep standing on your word, Lord. And I want to make a commitment to pick myself up, and, and I want to be one who's found in faith. Or, or maybe you say, you know what, Lord, I've been a chameleon. I've lost my saltiness. I, I've changed depending on who I'm with. And I want, to be, I want to be able to have a heart that is fully committed to you and watch you come through on my behalf when it seems like there's no other option. I just want to ask you with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you want to make a commitment, you're not making it for me, but you're making it to the Lord. And as you stand and you make it to the Lord, there's a grace that he gives us to enable us to do the very thing that we've committed to. to. So if you just want to make, if you want to make a commitment, would you stand please where you're at with every head bowed, every eye closed, don't worry about other people, doesn't really matter what they think. It doesn't matter what people think. It matters what God thinks. We're wanting to be those that God looks for. So it doesn't matter what other people think when they look and they see. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning. And you can also pray in accordance with the commitment that you're making to God. Lord, we want you to make us and help us to be worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, would you forgive us where we've disobeyed those little nudges from you, Holy Spirit, where we've walked in darkness in some areas of our life, where we've entertained habitual sin, where we haven't repented, where we've, where we've even grown hardened to that voice of conviction in certain areas. We pray you would soften and sharpen our consciences this morning. Father, forgive us where we've come on Sundays and we've paid lip service to you. We've sung songs and our hearts and our minds have been elsewhere. Lord, where we haven't built a lifestyle of worship where we've just relied on Sunday service to help us sing songs and we've thought that that's enough. Forgive us for that, Lord, and we pray for a grace to be worshipers who worship in spirit and truth to be those who walk in obedience to you. And Father, this morning where we've been those that have offered criticism, that have sat in the seat of the scornful, that have sat in seats of judgment, where we've judged, where we haven't stood in the gap and been intercessors and those who've cried out to you on behalf of the land. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord, and we ask that you would release that spirit of grace and supplication, Lord God, to enable us to stand in the gap. We pray this morning that you would soften our hearts, that we would be able to carry the burden of the Lord, that we would be able to carry your hearts, Lord God, that we would be grieved by the things that grieve your hearts, and that you would enable us to bring them to you in prayer. And Father, where we've carried so many burdens of our own, this morning we choose to lay them down. Would you teach us how to lay down our burdens, how to give them to you, Lord? But Father, we we thank you that you make us to be those types of prayer warriors, those types of intercessors. And Father, where we've grown, our faith has grown cold. Where we've let down our God, that shield of faith, we choose to pick it up this morning. Lord, make us those people who are strong in faith, who will stand on your word, who will keep standing. Those who endure, Lord, those who persevere, Lord God, those who have foreheads like adamant stone, harder than flint, Lord, who will keep standing and trusting you for breakthrough until it comes through. Those who will keep looking and praying and looking and praying and won't give up, Lord God, make us those type of people we pray Forgive us for our unbelief, Lord. Take us into a new level of belief as a people as we enter 2020, uh, Lord God. And Lord, we also want to be those whose hearts are fully committed to you. Forgive us, Lord, where we've continuously made our own plans or where we've made our own plans from time to time. 
relying on the arm of flesh, paying this one, doing that, coming up with our own strategies, Lord, and we haven't come to you in prayer first and asked you for your wisdom. We pray that we, we want to be a people that you find, Lord, whose hearts are fully committed to you. We want to be those people, Lord God, who are willing to stand in a place, in a difficult place, not seeing the solution and trust you for the miracle. We want to be those faithful people who can do that. And we ask that you do that in our midst this morning. So Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your joy. And Father, we pray for each person here, each person who's a member of our congregation as we, as we close for this year. We pray, Lord God, for safety during the holidays. We pray that you would protect us as we go out, as we travel on the roads, and as we come back next year. We ask that you would speak to our hearts and give us your vision, your word for the year to come, Lord God. We pray that you would excite us with, with things that you have in store. Thank you, Lord God, for your goodness. We pray for wonderful times of fellowship as families and spiritual family. We bless your people this morning in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, E-Family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.